You're listening to The Big Interview Show. That's right. You are listening to the big interview show with me, Jeremiah, right here on WCCR 94.5, The Crossroads. And this is obviously a special Thursday edition of the big interview show. Today, it is my pleasure to have with us uh, the long-awaited interview with Jay Lucas Waters, author of The Shaking Tree, which will see its debut performance this Friday, brought to you by our friends at the Wildwood Theater. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the play, what inspired it, uh, some of the themes that are in it, and, and perhaps also why you should go actually check out the performance, again, that begins this Friday uh, here in the, uh, actually at the Whitley County High School Amphitheater, uh, brought to you by the Wildwood Theater. So that's that's a pretty exciting thing that's coming up, and so it is my pleasure to have the playwright, the author of uh, the Wildwood Theater's debut performance, uh, Jay Lucas Waters, my good friend off the air and on the air as well. Lucas, glad to have you on the show this Thursday morning. It's good to be here. Hey, it's it's good to have you back on the radio. It's been how long since you've been on the radio? Oh, man, I don't even know. Years. <laughs> yes, yes, more than one year. But uh, it's it's like an old pair of shoes, only not as stinky. So it's good. Uh, glad to have you with. <laughs> glad to have you here on the radio, Lucas. And uh, Lucas, you are obviously the the playwright, the author of this play that's coming up uh, starting on Friday, and we'll be having uh, four performances, uh, including not just this Friday, but also on the twentieth, twenty sixth, and twenty seventh. You're going to see. Your words come to life on the stage, and that's a pretty cool thing. But I was just going to ask first, what inspired The Shaking Tree? What, what caused you to write what it? What inspired The Shaking Tree? I have had this story um, kind of on my mind for years. Originally, I was wanting to write it as a short story, and it didn't work as a short story. Um I thought about writing it as like a, a really long novel, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no... That would bore me writing it, um, and but really, I, I mean, as far as its final form, like I think the play form is probably the best. Um, but I guess the question that you're asking is more what inspired the story, yes, right? Yes, that, um, that is the question. <clears throat> really, um, there's a lot of my own kind of angst, I guess, mm-hmm. in the story, angst. I hate using that word, but I can't really think of another one right now. That's a writer for you. Um, and just some experiences and stuff um, that my family have told me about. Um, mm-hmm. I come from a long line of coal miners. Uh, my dad was a coal miner. My uncle was a coal miner. My grandpa was a coal miner, great-grandpa, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, and I just... I really love that culture. I really love um, this area. And um, but as as far as the story itself, like the there was really kind of a like C.S. Lewis. The, the way he came up with the Chronicles of Narnia is he had an image of a fawn in the middle of um, in the middle of the woods, and there's a, a lamp post in the middle of the mm-hmm. woods. Like that was his image, and like he just kind of built the story around it. Well, for me, there is a tree on 92 uh, on the way to McCrary County. Actually, I think it's in McCrary County. Mm-hmm. 
um, that stands out in the middle of a field. And I'm like, every time I saw it, I was like, that would be a great place for a story to begin hmm. or, you know, at yeah. least for it to be set. And, um, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that, that's a cool starting point, you know, yeah. and it, it does feature uh, very, very heavily into the play, but I guess, I guess I got a little bit ahead of, of, of myself uh, and I guess you should introduce yourself to the listeners. I think that's one of the problems of having you on the show, Lucas, is I know you and I know where you're from and, and when you graduated and all that sort of stuff, but somebody listening to us might not know. So, uh, I guess let, before we jump back into the play, who are you, where you're from, when did you graduate, why'd you study here, that sort of thing. I am Lucas Waters. J. Lucas Waters, I guess is how I sign it when I write. I am originally from McCrary County. Um, I grew up pretty close to Mine 18 and Blue Heron and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to college at Cumberland, started in 2005, uh, graduated in 2010 with a bachelor's in philosophy and religion. And ever since then, like I've been to the Army and back. I've... Mm done this and that and I don't know I feel a lot like uh, Cervantes in uh, Man of La Mancha where he said you know I've been a soldier and a slave and all that stuff and yeah. it's like I I, I kind of feel that but um, but yeah I've, I've been here there and everywhere in the past few years since yeah. I graduated so yeah it's been quite the journey that, that you've been on to say the least um while you were at UC, you also were really involved in the theater department. Uh, I think that should also be said uh, as we talk about a play, um, having in some cases very uh, prominent roles in some of the productions. Uh, just uh, you don't have to name all of them because that might take too much time. But uh, what are some of the plays you were in here at the University of the Cumberlands, Lucas? Um, I was in King Lear uh, just recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the Earl of Kent in King Lear. I was in. Um, the Fantastics. Yes. I played Matt in The Fantastics. I was in My Fair Lady. I played Freddie Einsford Hill. And I played about four different people in A Christmas Carol. Um, four different accents. So that was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> was that hard to juggle all of them? Did you ever mix it up? No, not really. Like, I, I, I could pretty much... There, Snap in and out? Yeah. There, yeah. Well, there was enough time between... Uh, between characters for me to kind of get into those characters um like i know at one point i was playing uh like the ghost of an undertaker yeah i remember that yeah and i i had to use a like a kind of more of like a cockney accent i was like uh uh something like the hearse is ready yeah governor or something like that and i remember like to get into that like i would just kind of stare into the mirror and like you're dead. You're a ghost. Freak people out, <laughs> and like it apparently worked because like I made I made children cry, which is every guy's dream, I guess, <laughs> or not. Hopefully not. I, unfortunately, I have a, a long history of accidentally making children cry. So, mm. if you have small children, which I do, well, yeah. Well, of course you do. Isaiah and Jude, they're great. Yeah, and they're not scared of you. Either. Yeah, they're not scared of yeah, me. Yeah, they're brave kids. They know me. Yeah. Um, so <coughs> jumping back to The Shaking Treat and to kind of connect some of the stuff you were just talking about, uh, as the author of this play, which again opens on Friday, um, 
you had the task of, of really creating your, your own play. That's what a playwright does. Um, but having been an actor, been on having been on stage recently and over and over again with uh, experiencing uh, different playwrights and different books to look off of, um, what experience, I guess, how did being an actor shape writing a play for you? It actually makes it a lot easier for me to write for the actor and director. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of playwrights... When they write the play, they write so much stage direction and stuff into the play that you're basically, you know, assuming that the director sticks to those directions, like you're basically going to see the same play over and over again. I didn't want that. Um, I put a lot of kind of uh, emotions, like I would write, you know, you're supposed to say this, you know, confounded or you know something like that Um, but that was more just for the actors so they know how that line would come across because if a line is sarcastic you don't want to say it in the most sincere voice that you've got yeah and uh, like i I really just i kind of wrote it thinking if i was acting in this how would i want it written Mm -hmm. um and hopefully i mean it it's been a it's been a good script for rebecca and and the cast to work with, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, she tells me that it is. So hey, then then you gotta you gotta believe her because she would know. I agree. Because I think it's interesting to read through, and not that I read through plays on a daily basis, but but you're right. There are very little uh, stage directions and, and, and guides to the actors. I mean, if somebody leaves the scene, you be sure and tell them that Jubal exits or something like that. But see, and that's the thing too. Like you know, like when Shakespeare, yeah, um, there's not a lot of stage directions in Shakespeare. Um, I mean, there are, you know, like so-and-so exits, so-and-so enters, but a lot of it you got to kind of figure out for yourself. Like, I didn't want to go that far, but I did want to make it more universally directable, I guess. Yeah, you wanted to, I think, the the director or directors to have a lot of creative freedom when they were were planning um, the scenery and and the actions of the actors and things like that. And I think that really comes through even as somebody who's who's not really an actor. and, And that... I imagine was was um, I think I would I would welcome that if I were a director not to say okay they have to raise their hand at this line and walk across the stage at this moment and and just okay well you can do whatever suits the scene and suits the space that you've got and that sort of thing um, obviously we don't want to give the whole uh, storyline of, of the shaking tree away but uh, in in a minute or so uh, a minute or less we'll say uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, specifically what the, the storyline of the shaking tree is about um I've tried to do this before and it usually that, that's come, why I said in a minute or yeah, less it, it, as a challenge to you it, so. it, it usually comes across as hey that sounds like October sky and it's nothing it's like not. October there, sky there are no spaceships um it's about a a young man who wants to be a writer uh, wants to travel the world um and because of a family tragedy uh he is kind of kept back from doing that he's kept um home in eastern kentucky um oh and it's set during the 1940s yeah uh and just it really has to do with changes and how we relate to changes um Mm -hmm. how we can either be become bitter or we can remain hopeful 
mm-hmm. and it's kind of his struggle with with that. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot uh, a lot of really different. I think a lot of really universal themes. Whether you are from this area like we are or not, I think you can identify with a lot of things that this uh, this play mentions: um, loss, um, dreams, and dreams deferred, and, and how do you find hope in darkness? And, and there are all sorts of themes in this play where um, uh, Jubal, the the main character of the play, the aspiring writer, deals with a lot of tough life situations and and uh probably doesn't respond the way that uh, we might initially hope that he does uh but that's what drama is um and i I was just curious um you mentioned uh, in a a second ago that that it's set in the 1940s it begins uh in i think 1946 is that is that right uh why set it in the 1940s you could have set it in the 30s you could have set it 2012 um right before y2k happens i mean there's there's an infinite number of possibilities and I think a lot of the themes still would have worked but why the 1940s for the shaking tree well for me um, a lot of my grandparents stories come from the 1940s mm-hmm. um, but also I mean the 1940s was one of the biggest you know decades of change absolutely in, in American history I mean you had World War Two, you had the uh, creation of the atomic bomb, which you know I, I mentioned in the play, um, and just you know just all these changes taking place, and I thought it would be a good idea for the story, you know, which is to kind of be like a like a microcosm of the change that's going on in the world, like the world is changing, but Jubal's world is changing too. Yeah, and um, just kind of how he's you know how he deals with that and. I just I just thought the 1940s would be a good time to set it. Yeah, and I think it, it really works because um, <clears throat> it, it's it's familiar, obviously, to to a lot of readers, but not from a firsthand experience. I don't know if that makes sense, but but it kind of helps let you escape into the world that still looks a lot like the world that we we live yeah. in, especially with it being set in an area so similar to to here. Uh, you mentioned at the at the start of the interview and also in your author's notes uh, to the the copy of the the play that that I have uh, that it was a very personal thing for you to write and, and there was a, a lot of uh, your stories and, and your family's stories uh, and obviously Appalachia itself in in the Shaking Tree um, and, and when I read it I see a lot of of you in, in, in Jubal and I hope you don't mind me saying that. Um, do you do you identify with with Jubal? Uh, is that uh, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of identify with all the characters because right. you know they they all kind of come from my mind and you know from my life. But yeah, Jubal is is definitely the me character in in all of this. Like, um, I know Jubal, you know, suffers a lot of loss in mm-hmm. and you know he he has to learn how to deal with that. Well, I mean, like in my life. I've lost a lot of people that I love um, and just kind of come into terms with that. And I had a mentor who told me, uh, which is probably, this is probably one of the, the greatest bits of advice that he ever told me, was when it comes to grief, when it comes to, to loss and heartache, you can either let it harden you or break you. Mm. And it's like if it hardens you, if it makes you bitter, you lose. If you break, you know, there are the chances of the pieces getting back together again. And I think that's something that 
that Jubal has to learn throughout the play. Like he can either, you know, be hardened or he can break. Um, but you know, even though it's painful, the breaking is better than the bitterness. Hmm. I like that. I like that. We're going to take a quick break here on the big interview show. We'll be back in one minute. That's right. You are listening to The Big Interview Show. I'm joined by playwright Jay Lucas Waters, author of The Shaking Tree. And uh, The Shaking Tree will be performed uh, in just, uh, well, that's tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, just just one day. I started to say just a few days. Uh, on the 19th is the opening date uh, for the Wildwood Theater's production of The Shaking Tree and uh, that will be at the Whitley County High School Amphitheater. And I would encourage everybody that can to attend either that date or one of the upcoming performances. And uh, speaking of performances, I, I think one of the things about writing a play that, that I've really never had to deal with as a writer that obviously you're about to deal with, Lucas, is, is if you're writing a novel, you have, except for maybe an editor who would make some small changes, complete control of the storyline. But as, as the author of a, a, a screenplay or... Um, the author of, of uh, a theater production, you kind of have to hand that over to a director and a cast and hope that it matches up at least somewhat to your vision. Is is that, uh, as a writer, uh, uh, an intimidating thing, a scary thing to, to hand somebody <coughs> over uh, your, your story and your words and hope that it turns out okay? I think if I was just handing it over to anybody, it would have been, mm-hmm. um, but I'm like really confident in Rebecca's talent, like um, you know, I, I've known her for a long time and, you know, we're really good friends and like, she's really good at what she does. So I, I knew that, you know, handing it over to her, it's not going to end up being like some sort of, you know, crazy out there techno fest or something like that. Like she's, she's doing it justice. And like, I'm, I'm really proud of her as the director and and the cast is doing a really good job too from what I've seen. I've actually been out of out of town for That's the past couple of weeks. That's why I was going to ask if you had a chance to to go observe some uh, of the rehearsals and things like that. Not necessarily this week, toward, but just in toward general. the beginning like yeah. I I was at most of the rehearsals um but like I said I've been gone for the past couple of weeks so I haven't really been seeing it kind of come together at the end. Um but I'm confident. Like I'm I'm super confident in Rebecca and in the cast that, you know, this is going to be a great show. Um, and I would, I couldn't think of anybody better to hand it over to than, than her and those guys. Cool. Cool. Well, that's, that's good. Much better than the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, I had a couple lines in the play that, that I, uh, was looking at that I thought I could just kind of ask you about, um, uh, at one point, uh, Jubal has this interaction early on in, in the first act. Uh, I have no idea what scene uh, with Sarah, who's kind of a mysterious character. That that oh, that's uh, probably scene one, I think. That sounds good, <laughs> and um, you would know, I guess. And uh, Sarah's a very mysterious character that I think uh, the the audience is going to enjoy. And I think uh, I'm not going to ask you any questions about her because I feel like it, it's something you wanted to be open to the the people's interpretation. For the most part, like I've I've had people because it seems like the kind of character someone would say who Sarah's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've had people already argue with me like who she is, and I'm like, 
I wrote it. I'm like, I, I wrote it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, but she's having this conversation with him uh, and, and uh, asking him if he's a crazy person, saying, you're not a crazy person, are you? And he says, you know, that he's not crazy. He's a writer. Um, do you think you have to be a little bit crazy to be a writer? Absolutely. Why? Well, I'm crazy and I'm a writer. <laughs> Therefore, it's a must. No, I, I think it depends on what you call crazy. Right, um, right. Like, I feel like for most people, thinking outside of the box um, and thinking outside of the norm um, is considered crazy. And I feel like to have a good story, like, you can't just go along with what everybody else says. Like, you've got to put yourself on paper. Um, I think Hemingway said it best. And he's like, you know, there's nothing to writing. You just sit down at a typewriter and bleed. Like... You got to be a little crazy to do that, you know. You you got to be, you got to be thinking outside of the box to really put yourself into the plays and into you know the short stories and the poetry and and really, I mean, historically, if if you look at most writers, they're fairly eccentric people. At least <laughs> very true. At least the best writers. Like, I don't I don't really want to read anything written by somebody who is is normal <laughs> yeah because I, I don't think that's going to stretch yeah, you or, I mean, or those sort of things either and I think you know the more you've been through emotionally the more emotion you can bring to your writing um, and I think some of that stuff drives you a little crazy I know like mm-hmm. you know in some of these scenes I was writing and like by the time I was done like I was having an emotional breakdown like I'm like I'm just, you know, I'm taking everything that's inside of me and putting it on paper, and it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, then, like, I mean, anybody can sit down and write a story, but, I mean, if you want to write a really good story, you've really got to put yourself into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, something else that, that I meant to ask you about earlier, I'll just ask you right now, uh, that has to do with writing the plays. Obviously, this is set uh, set in Appalachia, and uh, you and I, among anybody else uh, that's that's from this area for sure, uh, ha- have experienced at some point in life uh, some writer that tries to write every character with some kind of strange uh, Appalachian mm-hmm. dialect or, or um, have purposely have people act like they have no grammar skills whatsoever yeah. or um you know give give everybody a really thick accent uh, or uh, not accent but um to to really almost take the stereotype of App- Appalachia the, the negative one and bump that up for the yeah. sake of believable characters i suppose is what they're trying to do um and i was just going to ask uh, first of all your thoughts about seeing that kind of stuff when happen when it happens as a native appalachian and then second uh, to ask you about uh, uh, what was your take on unwriting Appalachia? Well, like, I think a lot of people write like that because they think it does make it believable. Right. But it, it may be believable to everybody outside of Appalachia, but for people in Appalachia, it's stupid. Like, nobody talks like that. Like, honestly, I, I have read plays, and I'm like, you know, that are set in this area, and I'm like, nobody talks like that. Yeah. I mean, you're basically, I get kind of tired of, like, the media and literature and, you know, just kind of making us all look like rednecks and idiots when, I mean, we have a culture all of our own. Yeah. 
Um, and they're really, really intelligent people. Um, you know, and they might not always have like doctorates and stuff like right, that. Right. Well, I, I mean, take my dad for instance. Like, my dad knows more about you know cars and you know just kind of the way life goes and about the woods and you know all that kind of stuff. Then, I, I mean, he could write books about it. Right. But he doesn't. That doesn't mean that you know he's just some sort of stupid yokel who right who doesn't know anything. Um, and I'm. I'm kind of sick of that stereotype because that's not true. Yeah. Um, the people in this area are very colorful. Um, there is colorful language. Um, you know, and that's that's one of the things that, you know, I, I even write in my, my author's notes. Like, I didn't write it in dialect, um, but I did include a lot of the phrases that I, that I have heard growing up, like, um, you know, getting the belt. Yeah. Or you know, and yeah. you know, stuff like that. Um, even even the the, the prayer that uh, is prayed uh, in in many a scene <coughs> in in the shaking tree over the the evening meal. Uh, I know you've had other people tell you, but but it's very very reminiscent to me in my life and hearing people say those exact yeah. same words just because it's it's part of the culture. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, what I call it is you know kind of like the Appalachian liturgy. Yeah, is that. You know, we have certain phrases, we have certain things that we say that kind of unite us as Appalachian people. Um, that, you know, if you were to meet somebody from, you know, from Hazard, you know, in Timbuktu, like you would know who, you know, where they were from just because of the, you know, phraseology that yeah. they use. Um, you know, it's, it's the same thing in like, you know, religious circles, you know, like, you know, I come from the Anglican tradition, you know, where we use liturgy. And, you know, pretty much every Sunday, every Anglican church in the world is using the same liturgy. Um, and that kind of unites them as a people. Well, that's kind of what I was trying to do with, with the, you know, with the play was not to write it in dialect, not to push, you know, an exaggerated accent yeah, yeah, on yeah. people, but, you know, to write enough phraseology into it that when people hear it, they'll know. Hey, you know, I've heard this before. This, you know, this sounds like home. Yeah, and you had mentioned, uh, for example, the the works of, of Silas House and the plays in particular yeah. that he is, and, and has written as a good example of that. That that are obviously in Appalachia, but yeah, well, it's like you know, David don't Sweet take the at the you know at the high school here. You know, he and his group did the hurting part by Silas mm -hmm. House, and one things that one of the things that I was really impressed about. Um, from that play was just the way he incorporated phraseology to, you know, make it, you know, definitely a part of this area and, you know, make the characters definitely Appalachian and come across Appalachian, but he didn't push the, the dialect. The dialect. Yeah. yeah. And I, I see that come through in this as well. Um, Thanks. Yeah. I, I know that, I know that was a big goal of yours and I think that does succeed. Um, Something else that, that I think is a huge theme of this play that, that I can certainly identify with is I think kind of the fear of, of being stuck um, and um, uh, in particular being stuck in a, in a small town and not seeing the world and uh, those sorts of things. There's a, a line uh, fairly fairly late in the play uh, that uh, Jubal's talking to his, his friend Andy uh, and he says, you'll tell them all kinds of things. You'll make the world seem like a diamond, but one day they'll see it. One day they'll see it for what it is, a big piece of dirty coal. 
that's what it's been the whole time. And, and uh, his, his in that in that scene, it talked a lot about their dreams of, of traveling to Paris and London and New York and, and being writers. Uh, and, and instead, the fear that they will always be working in a coal mine in that small town. I think that's something that uh, I think for me was, was, if I'm being honest, perhaps my biggest fear of, of 18 is, is um, uh, many years ago was, was not leaving small town Kentucky and obviously my, my point of view has changed and uh, I really enjoy it here a lot but uh, I think that's something a lot of people that go see the play will be able to identify with and, and see themselves either right now or in the past as, as having that mentality um, uh, why, why do you think that's such a, a big theme kind of for, for this area because I think that's something a lot of people can, can identify with I don't know why it's a big theme for everybody else, but I can tell you why it's a big theme for that, me. That like, seems fair. You you say, you know, like that was a, a fear of, you know, your 18-year-old self. Like that's still a fear of my 26-year-old self. Like, um, you know, I still want to go see the world. You know, I, I still, you know, want to write and write and write and write. And, you know, I'm working toward that. Um, it's not because I don't love Appalachia. Like, you know, I've been all over the U.S., you know, like, you know, here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I've seen some really pretty places, but there's nothing like, you know, coming back home and being in the mountains and, um, you know, some of the nicest people in the world are, Absolutely. are you know, are in eastern Kentucky. And, I don't, you know, some days we probably don't feel that way, but, you know, then we go, you know, you know someplace like Cincinnati or, yeah. or Louisville or, you know, New York or something like that and, like, you know, we pretty much figure it out. Yeah, like, it's like I told uh, Rebecca on, on Tuesday's show. You know, I don't really tend to appreciate the mountains that are, um, that I can see from my back porch until I leave. And I'm like, this is flat. I hate it. Can I, can I have my mountains back? Those, yeah. are, those things are awesome. Um, and, you know, I think, I think we tend to appreciate it more when we, we are elsewhere. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, like, you know, I love Kentucky. And I love my home. Um, but you still want to see the world, like you know, you, you want to see what's out there. You you know, you want to go and for me, like you know, ever since I was a little kid, like you know, I'm reading books and you know, stories about places like London and Paris and you know, China and Egypt. Um, like I, I, I want to go see these places. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to come to the end of my life and think, man, I didn't really go anywhere, did I? <laughs> yeah. And it's not like, I don't know, I guess it's just kind of that, it's not that people are really just kind of fed up with being here, or that they, you know, despise being here. I don't, you know, I don't think, well, and I, like I said, I can't speak for everybody. Like, I would never leave Kentucky because I despise Kentucky. Like, I just want to see what's out there. I, yeah, you know, yeah. just kind of an explorer's spirit, you know, and... I mean, that's pretty much it for me. Yeah. I can't say for everybody else. Well, that, that sounds good. I think um, one of the things that this play does is it puts the characters in a, I mean, more than one really tough position where they have to make big choices and, and the choices they don't want to make, uh, I think, are, are the right choices uh, in, uh, uh, in hindsight. Um, that doesn't mean that, that they're easy. Um but but by the end of the play, I think it, it has uh, an ending that that will satisfy uh, 
the, the viewers, the audiences, but uh, I guess what's the overall feeling or, or emotion or theme that you hope somebody leaves the shaking tree and you want them to feel a certain way? What, what would you say that feeling would be? Hope. I want mm-hmm. people to be hopeful. Um, like, that's what the play is about for me, is that, well, you can be in the worst situation. And, like, you know, this is coming, you know, from a Christian perspective, but also just, you know, from the perspective of a human being. Like, things may be bad for you now, but things haven't always been bad. Yeah. And things won't always be bad. And, you know, you've got to hope. Like, you've got to hold on to hope. Um, I know, you know, like in my own life, like, um, I've dealt with, like, depression and, you know, stuff like that. And, like, it it makes you feel like there's just, you know, nothing's ever going to be good again in your life. And, like, some days you wake up feeling that way. And you just got to remember... You know, there's still hope. Yeah. You know, because of Christ, you know, especially for me, you know, there's hope. It's not always going to be bad. You know, God still loves you. You know, you're still God's child, and, you know, he'll pull you through anything. Um, I actually watched something on YouTube the other day um, that I thought really did a good job. It was about a guy who uh, his sister... Uh, committed suicide in 2011 mm. and he wrote a letter after the fact to his sister um, saying you know I wish that I could have you know been there for you and you know just kept telling you to fight and just kept telling you to to keep going and he's like you know these hard times they're it's, it's like a forge it's like a you know the hammer is coming down on you and sometimes it feels like you're being beat to death um but what's really happening is that, you know, you're the stronger the punches that come, the tougher you get, and eventually you'll be able to to punch back. Hmm. And I, like I really like that message, and I think that's kind of the message of of the shaking tree is that, you know, just just hope. Yeah. You know it. It won't always be bad. Yeah, and I think I think the audiences will be able to leave the the play really um, having a lot to chew on and a lot to think about, which I think is is the sign of a good play. That you're not just saying, "Oh, that was really entertaining," and, and it certainly will be that, um, but but a lot to think about. But but with that feeling of, of that, they can still do whatever they want to do. That that. Um, that uh, their dreams aren't yeah. crazy and un- unreachable. And, and look, and, and the thing is, you know what? Your dream may be crazy. It may be completely out there. That doesn't mean you don't go for it. Right. That doesn't mean you don't try. Like, actually, I, I, I got a, a fortune cookie the other day. It, it said something along the lines of, uh, no man ever really fails unless he stops trying. Yeah. And like, that's it. Like... You know, I, I may never reach my dream, but I'm going to put up a fight. Yeah. You know? And the, the way I look at it is, is you're already not there yet. So why not go ahead and at least try? You're yeah. already not there yet. You're already not living that dream. Why don't you at least try? Well, so, you you're know, already experiencing what it's not like to be there. Yeah. Why don't you experience at least what it's like to try to be there? 
was like, you know, I've, I've wanted to write stuff for a long time. And I have been writing stuff. You know, I write poetry. I write short stories. And um, this is actually my first play. Um, and, you know, I'm looking to get it published. Yeah. You know, I may send it off to, like, a, you know, 20 different publishers. And it never get pub. you know, and they just keep sending it back. Yeah. But you know what? I'll send it to 20 more. Yeah. And, you know, eventually, you know, one day, you know, hopefully somebody will publish it and, you know, the world will see this work. But it's not, you know, and I don't ever, you know, want people to think, you know, because I want to get famous. I, you know, I want my name out there. Like, you know, God gave me this gift. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wrote this for his glory and his honor. Um, and, you know, if if my dreams do come true, it's because he made them come true. And it's, you know... All of the honor and the glory go to Christ. Mm, it's beautiful. And uh, I do hope that, that you get it published. And I mean, you know, and hopefully, like, you know, I can I can get published. This will be successful. And, you know, hopefully I'll be able to give some of the money back toward, yeah. you know, the Wildwood Theater, which is, you know, a great cause. You know, you know, bringing theater and, and the dramatic arts, you know, to this area. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a, a real void that, that that's going to fill. Yeah. And I, I look forward to seeing um, what happens with it. Like, I, I really, really do. Like, I think Rebecca's going to do a really good job. I think so, too. I uh, want to remind our, our listeners that The Shaking Tree opens tomorrow on the 19th at 7.30 p.m. Uh, all performances are held in the Whitley County High School Amphitheater. Uh, adults can get their tickets for just 5 bucks. Children are $3. If you're not going to be able to go see it tomorrow, you can also see it on Saturday. That's the 20th and also next week on the 26th and 27th. And for more information, you can contact the Wildwood Theater on Facebook or you can email wildwoodtheater at gmail.com in case you've been wondering. Uh, my last question to you, Lucas, about The Shaking Tree. And uh, if you don't want to share the answer, that's totally cool, by the way. Um, that's kosher. Um why is it called the shaking tree? The shaking it's tree. not called the big oak tree in the middle of a field that inspires a rider. It's called the shaking tree. Whenever you think of a tree, you think of something that's solid and steady. And I think a lot of times when we look at life, we think of it as something that should be solid and steady. And like if you see a tree shaking, like you know, you know, the whole world is shaking. And that's kind of what happens with Jubal. It's like, you know, I mean, his whole world is shaking. Um, that's why it's called the shaking tree. But if you ask some of the actors, um, they might just throw their hands up and start waving them in the air and go, oh, the shaking tree. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but I feel like there's a story there. Yeah. <laughs> but but thank you. Thank you for for, for answering that. listening to the big interview show with me jeremiah right here on 94.5 the crossroads and we have a winner for our the shaking tree tickets giveaway uh russell Ridenauer called in and he is the winner of two tickets to the shaking tree congratulations russell thanks so much for listening to the big interview show i'm sure that you're going to enjoy the wildwood theater's performance of the shaking tree in the very near future we're going to uh, switch gears a little bit. Still talking to my good friend Lucas Waters here on the radio, author of The Shaking Tree. And uh, I'm still trying to come up with a name for this segment of the big interview show. So I'm not going to pretend to call it anything right now at the moment. Uh, but just as an example, 
last uh, last Tuesday, just a couple of days ago, I had a chance to talk to Rebecca Pardon, also the the artistic director of the Wildwood Theater. And we obviously talked about the play a lot and the community theater and some of her goals for that. And it was a great interview, but I also wanted to talk to her about something she was kind of obsessed with. So we talked about Sir Elton John for a while. And uh, El- Elton is not going to be the topic of, of discussion today. That's not what the segment is where I talk to every guest about Elton John, as fun as that might be. Uh, instead, I like to talk to each guest, uh, especially the guests that I know uh, quite well in advance, about something else that really interests them. Uh, and so Lucas Waters, if, if I just had to, to glance at him right now and I didn't know, I would still guess uh, based on his T-shirt that he really likes a Batman. And I know that he does, as do I. Um, and so Lucas and I are going to talk Batman for uh, for about 10 minutes here on the radio uh, as so- something that I think would qualify as, as your obsession. Uh, if you had to pick something pop culture related that, yeah. that was your obsession yeah it would probably be, be batman, be batman <coughs> um which is, is smart of you i must say um so well, thank you uh, yes yes um so we're talking batman here on the radio and obviously there have been thousands upon thousands of, of costume characters if we just narrowed it in to talk about uh heroes and superheroes and comics especially lots of choices out there um but Batman is is uh, still around today, and I think uh, what a lot of people don't think about when they, they think about Batman being a popular character still on television cartoons and major motion pictures and video games and, and certainly uh, still in the comic form as well. It's been around since 1939, and if you think about um, how many iconic characters from 1939 that are still doing just as well in 2013, there's not many. Um, characters from the late 30s that are still icons today and um, not just thought of as a product of yesteryear. Uh, for for you personally, what's the appeal of, of the Batman? Oh, man. We only have 10 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have loved Batman since I was a kid. My dad actually got me started. My dad collected comic books like when he was younger. And I was just all like, Batman always appealed to me. Um, because, you know, not to be too cheesy, which I'm always cheesy when I talk about Batman, but, like, I feel like if if any superhero can really be called a hero, it's Batman. And I, I think, you know, Christopher Nolan got it right with, you know, like the Dark Knight fil- films that, you know, he's not necessarily um, the hero that, Gotham deserves, but he's the one that, you know, they need that, you know, he's not a hero, that he's, you know, their protector, he's, you know, the Dark Knight, um, that he, he can be more than, you know, just, you know, like Superman, who is kind of the quintessential Boy Scout, you know, Batman, I feel like I'm rambling, but no, you're, you're good. I mean, he's, he symbolizes the ideal of justice, and I feel like you know, also looking at him and seeing what, you know, he had to go through and, you know, what he still goes through on a daily basis um, and how he's decided to deal with, you know, the anger and the pain, you know, he, he's using it in a positive manner. And I, I feel like, you know, that's Batman almost has like a Christian message to it that, you know, you can, you know, take everything bad that's happened to you and still use it for good. And... Mm. You know, and I think you know that's 
definitely something we need to learn as Christians that, and well, and it kind of ties into my play too. I yeah, think, yeah, that's I think what that's I was going to say. That, that's an overarching theme in my brain. Um, yeah. That, you know, we can either let it make We just us, connected your play to Batman. Yeah. That all the more justifies wow. this segment of the show. But, but like, honestly, like, you know, just taking, you know, just all the bad stuff, like you can either let it make you angry and turn you bad you know, yeah. which, uh, have you ever read The Killing Joke? Yeah. <clears throat> the the Alan Moore yeah, story. Yeah, the, the Alan Moore story about, you know, the Joker and how the Joker becomes the Joker. He says, you know, it really only takes one bad day to to make you into something evil. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the Joker, you know, talking about himself. And then he looks at Batman and he's like, you must have had a really bad day. And, I mean, really... He did. Right. But, right. you know, whereas the Joker went, you know, completely opposite and turned completely evil, Batman used it for good. Um, and honestly, I mean, he's cool. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> so, so let's, let's go off the, the he's cool angle. What makes Batman cool to you? What makes Batman cool? Oh, man. Well, like. He's a ninja, basically. You know, like mm-hmm. he, he knows like almost every martial art. Well, you know, well trained in, in well the trained. world. Yes. You know, he's well trained. Um, he's a detective. I mean, you know, he ranks up there with like Sherlock Holmes. You know, mm-hmm. um, as as far as intelligence. Um, you know, I, I recently watched uh, the animated uh, Doom. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The Justice League Doom. And I thought it was cool that Batman had a plan to take down every member of the Justice League if they ever went rogue. I mean, that's how smart he is. And it worked. Like, you know, because the bad guys get the plan and they use it against the Justice League and Batman's the one that has to save everybody. I mean, that's... Yeah. I mean, he's the one that everybody goes to when, you know, they can't beat the bad guy, you know? Right. Um, I mean, he's intelligent. Um, he's driven. Like, and that's that's something that really appeals to me probably the most is just how driven he is. Like, he never gives up. Yeah. And, like, uh, me and my buddy Andy, like, which, you know, Andy in, in the play actually gets his name from Andy, my best friend mm-hmm. Andy. Um, like, we'd be like, you know, who would win in a fight between Iron Man and Batman? And I'm mm. like, Batman. Yeah. Because Batman always wins. And that's because he's driven. Like, you know, he... Especially he, if... He won't stop. If there were more than <clears throat> one battle, more than one battle, I don't think there's there's anybody that could beat Batman. Obviously, yes. we're talking about a fictional character. Um, but, you know, any mistake that, that could possibly made in round one would not be made yeah. in round two. When almost any other character would probably make the same What's mistakes like, you twice. Know, you know, Bane might have broke his back. But he came back. Right. You know. And, you know yeah, I, there is that resilience and, and determination there. Yeah. Um, something else that, that, that I like a lot about Batman, because you asked, um, was, was kind of is, is kind of the rogues gallery. You know, I think a hero yeah. in some ways is, is only as good as, as his set of villains. Um, this is why the, the Flash doesn't do so well. Because when Captain Cold is your is your main bad guy, you're kind of doing Gorilla Grodd. Um, 
I don't like Gorilla God. It's a good character. Um, Just something about a talking gorilla, man. You know, I think that even even as much as Superman is one of my favorite characters, really lacking in the villain department. But um, I think Spider-Man and Batman certainly have the the best rogues galleries. But, uh, you know, we we can talk about the Joker, the Penguin, Riddler, uh, Bane, who you just mentioned, Scarecrow, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, Mr. Freeze. You go on and on. And these these are iconic villains that would be... um, you know the the main um, arch nemesis for for most characters um, in, in the comic book um, world. Yeah, and he's got like fifty of them. Yeah, he's got like fifty that are really really good. I mean, we we could talk Clayface, we could talk a bunch of different villains. Do you have a a favorite Batman villain? I do. My favorite Batman villain, um, because I don't really think he's a villain, is Mister Freeze. Ah, see, that's one of my favorites too. I love Mr. Freeze because, like, and what I like is the interaction between Mr. Freeze and Batman. You know, it's not like that, you know, really awful Batman and Robin, was that Joel Schumacher or something like that? Yeah. I hated that movie because yeah. they made Mr. Freeze out to be like an idiot and they made Bane look like a Muppet. Um, well said. You know, I mean, yeah. But, like, Mr. Freeze, I mean, he's a genius, you know, first of all. Um, but, I mean, he does everything he does. Because he, you know, he loves his wife. Like, he wants to bring his wife back, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and Batman understands that. Um, I know in the New 52, they've, they've changed up the story a little bit. In uh, uh, Annual Number 1 in the New 52, um, they actually have him... He's basically kind of crazy. Like, yeah. he, he thinks that, you know, this woman who's been frozen for, you know, since the 1940s is his wife... You know, Nora, but she's not actually his wife. Wow. You know, he's just kind of made her out to be. And I thought that was an interesting take, but I like the original better. And, and, you know, the, the. The Batman the Animated Series, for for my money, is the definitive version of Batman. You can tell me what yours is in just a minute. Um, but in that, that episode, which kind of re reimagines Mr. Freeze, uh, oh, in yeah. the episode um, Heart of Ice, Heart of Ice yeah. uh, which actually won an Emmy uh, back in the day, um, gives him this very tragic backstory and this reason to be um, obsessed with ice and to be yeah. um, very bitter, but a very sympathetic um, again villain, if you want to if you want to call him that. Um, and um, kind of redesigned uh, also by uh, Mike McDonough, who uh, who created Hellboy, uh, also yeah. involved in that. So there's just a lot of really smart people uh, that give him what is now what we think of when we think of Mr. Freeze is this this character whose whose heart is kind of uh, a vice because yeah, he's, I mean, he's been dealt some tough things in life. And well, this I mean, is it's kind of what we were talking it. about. Yeah. Like you know, he he let it make him bitter. He he let it harden him. But, I mean, he's still in love with Nora, you know? Like, you look at Mr. Freeze and, like, like I look at Two-Face, and, you know, that's a tragic story. But he's kind of a jerk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's got anger issues, and he's always had anger issues. And, like, I don't really feel a whole lot of sympathy for him. The Joker, eh, you want to feel sympathy for him. You know, especially after reading The Killing Joke. But he doesn't make it. But, like, he, you know, he's he's so evil. Like, right. I mean, that's why people always raise the question, why doesn't Batman kill the Joker, you know? But, like, Mr. Freeze, you look at him, and you're like, you know, he's just a normal guy. He's heartbroken. And, you know, this tragic thing has happened to him and happened to his wife. And, like, you really feel kind of bad for the guy. I mean, I feel bad for him. 
I kind of wish, you know, he didn't go around Gotham freezing everybody, but at the same time, you know, he's he's not a bad guy. He's just, he's hurting, I think, and he just won't open up to that. You know, he won't, you know, let his heart break. Yeah. But, I mean, Batman understands that. And, like, you see that in the interaction yeah. between yeah. Batman and, and Mr. Freeze that, you know, Batman doesn't really see him as an enemy. And actually, what I thought was kind of cool in Arkham City in the video game, uh, Mr. Freeze actually ends up helping you, hmm. like giving you weapons and stuff. I feel like a super nerd right now, but That's you know okay. what? That's like, okay. I, I don't even this, care. This is my time here on the radio, um, so so we can talk about Batman for just a couple more minutes. Um, do you have a <coughs> definitive version of Batman? I mean, that could be in, in a certain uh, artist's uh, or a writer's run on on the comic page. It could be the 1960s Adam West Batman. It could be a, a feature film. It could be um, the animated series, which is mine. It could be something entirely different. Um, that you, When you think of Batman, you think of, of this writer or this series or, or something like that? I think I pretty much like... The image and the voice, of course, that has stuck with me the most has been from the animated series. Yeah, because Batman sounds like Kevin Conroy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm reading the comics, I'm reading in Kevin Conroy's voice um, in my head, you know, not out loud. <laughs> I wish I could sound like Kevin Conroy. I would just talk like Kevin Conroy if, if I could. I would, I would talk like Kevin Conroy in a Scottish Batman. accent. Mm. I would be Scottish Batman. I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, I think I think Christopher Gosh, Nolan Batman. I think Christopher Nolan's done a really good job mm-hmm. um, and I think uh, David Goyer is the guy who wrote with him yeah um, you know they did a really good job with the story um, you know they, and they took a lot from you know the long Halloween and you know the nightfall series and, and year and one, year one. Mm-hmm. I love year one I'm not a big fan of the Dark Knight Returns mm. like it I know for like a lot of people who love Batman, that's you know almost like sacrilege. But really, like I don't like the way you know he made Batman out to be just kind of like this old soldier, you know? Yeah. Like no, like Batman is you know definitely a knight, you know, and it's more than just you know you know they're the enemy. We need to go get the enemy. You know, blah blah blah. You know, but and it, I mean yeah. it, it has yeah. its good points. You know, I, I've got it. Right. You know, I just it's just not my favorite. And I think, you know, um in, in its its defense and just about any incarnation's defense, I think uh um that's one thing that's been kinda interesting about Batman is is his mythology and his persona even has been um not totally flexible and and, and that origin is still the basis of, of why he does what he does. But um you know, when he makes his debut, he's still carrying guns and killing people, and then they tone that down. And, yeah. and certainly, uh, certainly by the 1950s, and then it gets really over the top campy in, in the 1960s, thanks to Adam West. But um, that really uh, breathes new life into the series, and then it gets super dark, uh, thanks to guys like Frank Miller. Yeah. And then um, you kind of get uh, more of a, a happy medium uh, throughout the 90s. And then, um, you know, Christopher Nolan comes out with, with uh, his own trilogy. And uh, certainly with the New 52, there's been some, some neat things happening I really too. like the New 52. Like, I feel like the 90s, you know, Nightfall was good. You know, Nightfall, Night's End, Night Quest, and all that stuff. I liked that. Um, but other than that, there wasn't a lot of... I mean, well, in the animated series, of course, and 
you know, maybe the first two Batman movies, which were still kind of campy. I mean, they were definitely Tim Burton movies. But but for his time, they were not campy. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's like, what's interesting. I went to about see, it. you know, I went to see Batman Returns at the movies, and I was like, you know, I was a little kid, and like I was just blown away. Yeah. You know, my dad took me. Um, actually, I remember, you know, just kind of nostalgia, like when I was little. Um, one Halloween, I went as Batman. I, I had like a rubber Batman mask. <laughs> And my dad gave me his Batman T-shirt, which was like four sizes too big for me, and tied like a black towel or you know around yeah, my neck. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, dude, I'm Batman. <laughs> I look just like him. I'm like, I look just like Batman. But yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like the the meme I think that's going around the internet right now. It's like, um, <sighs> something along the lines of. Always be yourself unless you can be Batman. In that case, be, be Batman. Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, well, we're going to take another quick break here on the big interview show. Uh, sadly, not talking about Batman anymore, but uh, oh, hopefully man. enjoyed that, that random um, se- uh, segment, which I, I still don't have a name for. But for today, I'm calling it my obsession. Uh, we'll be back in 40 seconds here on the big interview show. You're listening to WCCR 94.5. the big interview show right here on 94.5 The Crossroads. My name is Jeremiah, your host, as usual, on this program. And uh, we turn next uh, from talking about The Shaking Tree, and then we talked about Batman. And now we are to the final uh, final round of, of questions here on The Big Interview Show, the final segment, uh, which we sometimes call the speed round or, or sometimes simply the 20 questions round. Uh, and every guest on the show answers these same 20 questions. Are you ready to, to answer this this assortment of, of quandaries? I hope so. Okay. Uh, let's start with, with this one. Um, joined, obviously, by J. Lucas Waters, the author of The Shaking Tree, which opens tomorrow uh, here in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Uh, and your first question, what is the latest book or movie that made you cry? Hmm. I mean, I don't cry anymore. I'm, do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, the latest book or movie that made me cry. I cried a little watching Man of Steel. Yeah. Like, oh. like it's, it's always like the dad moments that get me. Yeah. Like, I must have, like, daddy issues or something like that. But, like, honestly, like, you know, you see, like, Jonathan Kent and, yeah. and you know, Clark. Yeah, when he says, uh, "Can uh, I keep pretending that I'm your son?" Yeah, can I keep pretending? And he's like, "You are my son." And I'm like, "Oh man!" Yeah, tears yeah, me that, up. That, tears me that up. That pulls on the heartstrings. The first time I saw the trailer, <clears throat> I was like, "Oh." And Kevin Costner was perfect as Jonathan Kent. Like, why did they not tag Kevin Costner as Jonathan Kent before? I don't think he was old enough yet. Yeah, probably. Um, what fictional character is most like you? Any other time, I think I would say something like, well, hopefully Batman. That'd be cool. <laughs> um, 
here lately, I feel almost like Jay Gatsby. Mm. Like, and I'm not saying that because Jay Gatsby is cool. I just kind of, I've been feeling that a lot lately. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, the greatest album ever, in your opinion, mm. is... Bad Company by Bad Company. Really? Yes. Any special reason why? I just love Bad Company. And, like, that's a solid album. Like, there's no bad it song on that, on that album. It's good. Star Trek or Star Wars? You got to pick. I have to pick, so I can't <laughs> say both. Um, Star Wars. Like, I, I love Star Trek. I really like the new movies. I liked it. I really liked Into Darkness, but, I mean, it's always going to be Star Wars for me. It was like a like it was almost like a religion for me when I was in eighth grade. People called me the Star Wars boy. <laughs> you learn something every day. This is what I've learned most. Today. I wanted I wanted to be a Jedi Knight, man. I still kind of want to be. Well, a Jedi I mean, Knight. I think I think if <clears throat> if if we could, we would. Yeah, and like it always appealed to me, like philosophically, you know, the Jedi yeah. stuff, like you know, the ethical code that they followed. And I'm like. I don't know if I could rid myself of emotion, but you know, they're pretty honorable dudes, you know? But. Yeah. Um, what's one way that we can make a positive difference in the world? Um, you know, for me, follow Jesus. You know, follow the, the life that he lived, um, the way that he lived. Um, honor God, glorify God. Um, you know, like the Bible says, you know, when whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Mm. Um, and I think necessarily what will follow is the world will be better for it. <clears throat> well said. I mean, if we could all be more like Jesus, the world would be a better place. This is true. What is something most people don't know about you, Lucas? I don't know. I'm, I'm a pretty open book. Okay. Uh... I'm left-handed. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know that. What do you think about Jesus' claims to be the way, the truth, and the life? You know, I saw that question. You emailed that to me, and I'm like, man, I could go on for a long time about this. I believe it's true. Mm -hmm. I believe that he is the way and the truth and the life. And I believe he's everything to us. Um, you know, he's, he's that treasure hidden in the field that, you know, I'll go and I'll sell everything for just so I can, you know, by the field so I can have that treasure. Um, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's hard to say too much without, you know, just going straight sermon, you know. Right, but, right. But honestly, like, he's everything to me. That's how I feel about it. That sounds good. <clears throat> Lucas, how do you deal with stress? In other words... What do you do to to relieve stress when I you're don't. stressed out? You don't. It just piles on until like, <laughs> like honestly, it piles on until like I just kind of just lose it one day, and then you know hopefully you know it hits the reset button. But no, I I read. Um, writing can be a good stress reliever, but it's also a stress inducer. So you got to be careful what you write. Yeah. Um, I love hiking and running. Well, I don't love running. And, you know, like anybody who says they do, you know, 
you know, Eric Liddell said that, you know, when he runs, he feels God's pleasure. When I run, I feel the curse of sin, you know, on my flabby body. Um, but I do run. And it does help relieve stress because, you know, by the time I get back to the house, I'm so tired that it's kind of hard to be stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that other accomplishments will come in the future, at this moment, what accomplishment are you the most proud of? Hmm. Can I be really cheesy? Yeah. Having loved and been loved in return. Hmm. When all is said and done, Lucas, what do you want to be remembered for? Following Christ. Like, and honestly, like, you know, as long as God's message is sent forward and, you know, people hear the gospel from my life and see the gospel in my life, I don't care if they remember my name. Remember, you know, the work that Christ did in me. That's what I want to be, want to be remembered. And I know that sounds cheesy and like, you know, super spiritual, but, but I'm being you know, yeah. completely sincere and honest. Like that's, that's really what I want. Mm. I like that. Of those who've come before you, Lucas, who are the most inspirational? The most inspirational. Um, I'm a big fan of John Calvin. Um, like if, if you have, you know, I know there's you know always that debate, Calvinism, Arminianism, and like, you know, look beyond that and read a biography of the guy. Like, the dude loved the Lord, and like, he went through some bad stuff, like, in his life. And, you know, the reformers, you know, not just Calvin, but, you know, Luther and Zwingli, um, you know, the Puritans, all these guys. I mean, they're, like, if you actually read about them instead of, you know, watching, like, The Crucible or... Um, you know, reading the Scarlet Letter, yeah. and you know, you actually read the lives and the works of you know of the Puritans. Like these guys, they were on their stuff. Like they knew the Lord, and they weren't you know these killjoys. You know, one of the things they talk most about is joy and being happy in the Lord. You know, and you know, I find that really inspirational. Uh, as far as writing and stuff, Charles Dickens, um, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, as far as writing, not not so much as far as living. You know, yeah. Fitzgerald has had his own demons, and I feel like he went to the bottle to face those, and mm -hmm. that's never a good idea. Um, and Hemingway, I really like Hemingway. Um, J.R. Tolkien, because I'm, I'm a nerd, and you know what? Like, I am unashamed. I am an unashamed nerd. Me too. Um, I'm with you. Um, and Sean Connery. <clears throat> I just had to throw him in because okay. he's cool. He has a good voice. And he talks in a Scottish accent. He does. Always. Always, no matter what. No matter what role he's playing. Um, I'm a Russian submarine commander. <laughs> sounds just like a yeah, Russian submarine commander. I'm a Spaniard, but I forgot about that, yeah. Um, he was in the Highlander. Um, you mentioned that, that you're kind of an open book already, but, but do you have any hidden talents? that uh, most people don't know about? Um, I don't really know. It's weird, like, you know, when people ask you s stuff like that, because, like, you wouldn't really say, you know, this is my talent, you know what I mean? Like, right. I would call myself talented. Uh, a hidden talent? 
Um, not really. Okay, fair enough. That's fair enough. I like talking in Scottish accents. You know, um, hey, that's good. You know, because because uh, Jordan Gunther, who you obviously know, was on the show, I guess about a month ago, and, and said that that she has a talent people tend to tend to know about it. Yeah, and you seem like the type of guy that that's well, I mean, probably true as like, well. You know, when you write and when you act and sing and all that stuff, those are st- you know things that you do outward and. I, yeah, I draw a little bit. I'm not necessarily talented at it, but I like to do it. I like to sketch. Hmm. What creative masterpiece do you wish bore your signature? Oh, man. Um, probably The Great Gatsby. That would be cool. That would be cool. But, but, you know, like I said, I wouldn't want his life, but, you know, Fitzgerald's life, but you know, I would definitely have liked to have... Um, it's got one of the, the most perfect endings, I think, in all of literature. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's a sad ending, but it's a satisfying ending. It is sad very, ending. very satisfying. Um, we're in question 14 of our uh, 20 question segment. Lucas, what is the best thing that you've ever bought, stole, or borrowed? Bought, stole, or borrowed. The best thing. <sighs> you want the Sunday school answer, or do you want. I want the honest answer, whatever that is. The honest answer, like, like honestly, I mean, it's my Bible. Mm. I bought it. I didn't okay. steal it. I mean, I borrowed Bibles from people before, but you know, they always got them back. So, <clears throat> cool. I think it's kind of you know contradictory to steal Bibles, but hey, you know what? If you steal my Bible, you can keep it. I think that's I think that's uh, the way to go. I think that's a good perspective. Other than water, which is obviously essential, uh, what food or drink is most essential to your life? Mm, I really like beef. That's what's for dinner. No, 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 no. (laughs) Potatoes. Potatoes. Like. Mash them, boil them. It might be like, you know, the Scots-Irish heritage, but definitely potatoes. Because you can do anything with a potato. And they said, my dad always said, you know, you can't ruin a potato. That's not true. I've ruined potatoes. It is possible. But, but like, honestly, you can do anything with a potato. And I'll eat it. Like, you know, scallop, scallop potatoes, uh, which I think are the same thing as potatoes au gratin or something like that. I don't know. I don't speak French. But um, uh, mashed potatoes, baked potatoes. Fried potatoes. Fried potatoes. Even boiled potatoes aren't bad. Baked potatoes. Yeah. I've already said that. No, I don't I, re- think so. I really like baked potatoes. Sweet potatoes, which aren't actually potatoes, but they have potato in the name, and I, I love them as well. Sweet, Let's, sweet potato pie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm this, sorry. this just became a totally different show. Yeah. <laughs> called Jeremiah and Lucas talk about taters. I feel like, I feel um, like Bubba on the Forest <laughs> Gump. Let's say that you got to time travel. Let's think about that. Oh, man. Where? When and why? You know, when I was a kid, I used to say like medieval times, but then I was like, eh, Black Plague kills like two thirds of the population. Probably not a good idea. Um, I would say Victorian England hmm. or maybe the Wild West. I think I'd make a good mountain man. Maybe. I'd probably get eaten by a bear, like, honestly. I thought about going to Alaska a while back and, like, you know, just roughing it and stuff yeah. up there. And 
Rebecca and you know a few other people talked me out of it. And I'm I'm kind of glad they did because I, I probably would have gotten eaten, but I don't know. I'm still kind of playing around with it for the future yeah. and just do it a little bit smarter, I guess. Yeah, <clears throat> the future's still wide open. It yeah. could happen. Um, this is the political question. Uh, if you got the chance, what would you want to say to the leader of your country? You're talking about President Obama? Yes. Hmm. I don't think a lot about politics. I would probably say, because this is something I feel strongly about, is um, give more thought to um, just how free you want abortions to be. Like, I'm not the kind of the kind of guy who says, you know, we should just completely get rid of abortion. Because, I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, when it's the mother's life or the baby's life, mm-hmm. like, I can't make that decision. I'm not standing in the mother's spot. You know what I mean? Right. And either way, that's something that they're going to have to live with for the rest of their lives. But I would say, you know, like, you know, people just going in and getting casual abortions, like, I'm, I'm completely against that. I think it's I think it's godless, and I think... You know, there's so many other options open. You know, there's adoption, you know, especially, you know, like my mentor and his wife, wonderful people, lovely people, uh, godly people. My mentor's wife can't have children. You know, yeah. she, she always called me her son, you know, yeah. her other son. Yeah. And, and you know, all the youth and stuff were, you know, their children. Um, you know, they would love to have a baby. You know, send it to a family like that. Yeah. Instead of, you know, killing it. So, you know, I would definitely tell him to, you know, give some more thought to, you know, just how free you want abortion to be. Um, we got to move on to uh, question 18 now, which I think you kind of answered about an hour ago. Um, but I'll ask you again. What's the best thing about living where you live? The best thing about living where I live is nature and just it's hard to be a writer in this area and not write about the land mm-hmm. like you know the, the land is something that's really important in my play um, and something that's important to Jubal I mean you know it starts out you know the play starts out and hopefully I'm not throwing in any spoilers but I mean he's sitting you know next to a tree writing a poem about what he's seeing yeah um, that's me like a lot of my poetry is about nature. Um, a lot of my, you know, just writing overall is about nature, and you know, just God's bounty in in creation. And and what I like about about nature here, if, if it makes sense, among many other things, is that you can't miss it. Yeah, you're you're going if you open your eyes and you're outside, you're going to see it. Yeah, and um, you know, it's not covered up with concrete. Right. Right. Um. I want to visit cities. I want to go to cities, but I don't think I could ever spend my my whole life in like a big city because I've got to have the trees. You know, I've got to have the grass. I've got to have the woods to go out and, you know, get lost in. Well, I've never been lost. I've been confused over where I was for a few hours, but I've never really been lost. You know, otherwise, you know, I probably wouldn't be here. Right. right. We would be uh, still uh, forming a search party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lucas, what are you working on now? Another way to ask that: uh, What dreams or or goals are you currently chasing? Um, 
I'm still wanting to continue my education. I'm still wanting to get like a master's and a doctorate. Um, uh, so, you know, hopefully sometime in the next couple years I'll be doing seminary and stuff, whether I'll be doing it online or going there. Um, I have so many ideas for plays and I actually have an idea for like an kind of like an epic novel um, which will it'll probably be done in three parts you know not you know ever since Tolkien everybody has copied Tolkien and that's not what I want to do um, but I, I do I've always loved Arthurian legend um, it's always been something that's really really important to me mm-hmm. um, it's kind of helped shape shape me as a person and I want to kind of give my own spin on Arthurian legend so like a kind of a reinterpretation of, of that story or something that's kind of based in, in no that? It, it would be you know Arthur okay yeah yeah um, you know th- through the years you know everybody's you know written their own interpretation right. of it. it it's not you know and I, I give people a long um long speech on fan fiction because I hate fan fiction but this is different and I know that that, that sounds funny you know coming from the guy you know, well, of course it's different for you it was like but honestly I mean it's a legend right it, it's you know folklore that has been passed down to us you know I know uh, one of my favorite books one of my favorite versions of it is T.H. White's The Once and Future, Future King, King. yeah um, that's really good and like I've read all five books because there's actually five books. There's the four books that you know come in the regular set, and then there's the Book of Merlin, which is the fifth book, which was published after. Didn't know about that one. It's it's interesting. It has a lot of his political views in it. That's probably why it wasn't published with the rest. Um, but I mean, it was still pretty good. But I don't know. I I really want to put my own spin on it and just see what I can do with it. And, hopefully get that published too well that's exciting we we look forward to that in in the years that come ahead last question question 20 what is the best piece of advice that you've actually followed keep trying Hmm. don't stop trying um you know you might fail over and over and over and over again and like in a lot of times you know a lot of times in my own life that's been the case you know, where, you know, you just, you feel like you fail and fail and fail and fail and it's, you know, you're never going to win, but you just got to keep trying. You got to keep fighting, doing the best you can. Never give up. Never surrender. That's right. Um, that's Galaxy Quest? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. But, but really, never give up. Good advice. Always, always keep trying out there. Um, that's going to about do it for uh, this week's edition of the Big Interview Show. Before we leave and, and call it a day, uh, Lucas, one more thing that I want you to do here on the radio. Let's say, hypothetically, I don't know, there's somebody listening right now and, and they're debating if they should go see the Wildwood Theater's performance of The Shaking Tree. What, uh, what would you tell them to, to try to convince them to go? Well, it's hard to brag about my own work. Um although other people kind of have. I think Rebecca has a little bit. Um, but I will brag about them. Like, they've done a really good job. Um, I think it's going to be a great show. I'm looking forward to seeing it as, as the author. And, like, you know, if I'm satisfied with it, you know, and this coming out of my head, right? Um, I think other people will be too. 
So go see go see my show. Go see our show. Yes. The Wildwood Theater show. Yes, the Wildwood Theater presents The Shaking Tree. That opens tomorrow. I'm excited about it. Hope you are, too. Performance dates are July 19th, 20th, and the 26th and 27th. That's this Friday and Saturday, and also next week on Friday and Saturday. All those performances scheduled to begin at 7.30 p.m. And for more, more information about The Shaking Tree and the Wildwood Theater, you can email wildwoodtheater at gmail.com. You can also uh, contact them via the Wildwood Theater on Facebook. Lucas, it's, it's been a great time here on the radio. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Good. We'll do it again sometime. Thank you so much out there for listening to today's special Thursday edition of the Big Interview Show.